Yo, what's up, guys? JB here. It is around uh, 7:30 on Saturday evening. Uh, last night we released the bottom, the center deal. Sorry, one on one with Jason England. Uh, Jason is on the phone now. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Lovely. This past week uh, we were at the World Magic Seminar. If any of you guys are out there, were there. Uh, a lot of great magicians there. More importantly, we had our own magic convention at uh, seeing the Watchmen the other night with a bunch of magicians, which was uh, just as good as the convention, in my opinion. Um, but anyways, uh, we wanted to get to as many questions as we can tonight. Uh, you guys submitted questions for tonight's roundtable discussion. We said basically you guys could talk about anything you wanted, whether that was the center deal, the bottom deal, card handling, sorcery, Watchmen, anything you really wanted to ask Jason. And um, we're going to get to as many questions as we can. I'm just going to pick some questions at random um, as we go through here, relatively random. And uh, we'll get started right now because we are under the limit of time. Uh, Jason, I'm just going to go through. Uh, let's start at the first page here of questions. And the first question I saw that piqued my interest that uh, reminded me of something you said actually in the center deal video was how long did it take you to perfect the center deal if you consider it perfectable? Uh, well, it's a, it's an interesting question. It's a question I get all the time in uh, various uh, different ways. And you already touched on the answer, of course. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, it'll be perfect when I can figure out how to eliminate all of those little problems that crop up from time to time, like, uh, you know, the card uh, emerging from the front end of the deck as opposed to the side and uh, other cards going along for the ride and uh, getting the break uh, to the point where it can't be seen from the, uh, from the right-hand side. When all of those things are gone, maybe I'll consider it perfect. Until then, I'm going to keep working at it. Uh, and the truth be told is I've, uh, I've never seen a perfect uh, move, whether it be a second deal or a bottom deal or a pass or a false shuffle. Uh, virtually all of them can be improved uh, in one way or another. And center deal is no different. So uh, I guess the real question is how long do I, do I think it took me to get competent at the center deal to the point where I would uh, show it to a paying audience? Um, and the answer is that I was probably comfortable showing, uh, the center deal to a paying audience somewhere along the, uh, somewhere along the three or four year mark. I'd been doing it that long. Um, and it got to the point where my friends who had seen me do some things, uh, actually asked me to show it to other people. Uh, and when that happened, I knew that obviously I was getting pretty close to, uh, something that was workable and usable. And it kind of went from there. Um, back in those days, I was still using more of a Martin Nash or Jim Cooper-style center deal where the cards are uh, side-jogged. Uh, and I got to the point where I could do that side-jogging with one hand, all of which is covered in the uh, in the one-on-one. -on -one. But that's really uh, the crux of the issue there is um, when was I using it? Oh, about three to four years in. And do I consider it perfect? Absolutely not. I'm still working on it every day. I think you at the end of the uh, the center deal video at the end of the one on one you said something like yeah, that so that's all I have to say today uh, see you guys in about ten years right <laughs> um, now that was more that was more joke than anything else of course but there's but a will, yeah yeah there is truth to it you know I mean uh, I don't think anyone unless they're already an uh, an expert bottom dealer is going to uh, make the transition to uh, the center deal uh, very quickly if you were already an expert bottom dealer you then, of course, you, you've got a big head start on everyone else because your, your hands are already used to uh, overcoming different types of friction and removing cards from uh, certain parts of the deck while keeping all of the other cards in place. 
So an expert bottom dealer might be able to make the transition in a, in a couple of years or maybe even a year uh, of, uh, of constant practice. But uh, the reason I said 10 years is because if you've never done any false deals before, the truth of the matter is, is you'll probably make much faster practice if you become a, a good bottom dealer first and then make the transition into the, sec- or, uh, into the center deal. Uh, there are lessons in the bottom deal that carry over to the center deal. Um, so, uh, of course, that was, like I said, more a joke than anything else, but, uh, but there's a kernel of truth to it. Nobody picks up the center deal overnight. Um, speaking of practice, there's a question submitted by A. Johnson, and he's saying, is there a special practice routine you do daily to keep up with and intact with your skills? So I think he's just saying, how do you practice, or have you seen any interesting practice uh, routines or methods that from other professionals? Um, I, I don't have a set-in-stone practice protocol that I do every single day. Uh, however, I do practice almost every single day. I can't think of the last time I missed a day of practicing. Uh, it would usually be a day of travel if I'm going somewhere. Uh, occasionally, I don't uh, get a whole lot of practice in on a travel day. Um, but what I do typically is I sit down. I have a, a large three-way mirror uh, that was built to the same specifications as one that uh, Steve Forty has practiced with for years. Uh, I always liked the, the size of his large three-way mirror. It, uh, you know, it shows uh, pretty much everything. So uh, I had one built, or actually uh, Chris Kenner had one built. Uh, he got one and I got one, and I practiced with that all the time. Uh, before I had that, I used to just practice against the flat mirror, and that, uh, that gave me you know, very good results. Uh, I practiced with video cameras before, what have you. Uh, but it sort of depends on what I'm doing. If I'm uh, practicing false deals, I typically deal uh, into the mirror uh, so that I can see what I'm doing. If I practice something like ripple stacking, uh, I can typically do that right here at my computer. got a small, uh, small close-up pad in front of the computer. I can practice some ripple stacking while I check my email or what have you. Uh, if I'm practicing things like false shuffles, uh, it's usually back in front of the mirror so that I get that feedback. And from time to time, I'll uh, set up the video camera um, run through, you know, an hour's worth of stuff, and then I take the video out and I sit on it for a few days. I don't watch it right away when it's fresh in my mind. Because uh, if you watch it right away, you know what you did and in what order you did it, uh, and it's difficult to fool yourself. But if you sit on it for a few days or a week, sometimes you come back and, uh, and I don't remember what I did. I don't remember, okay, is this the one where I bottom deal? Or is this the one where I do the push-through shuffle? Is this the one where there's a second deal in it? I don't always remember, and occasionally I'm pleasantly surprised to see that uh, something fools me. You know, I'm fooling myself because I, I'm, I'm putting a little bit of time in between the time that I filmed it and the time that I watch it. And if I don't fool myself, of course, then I know I need to go back and practice some more on that particular move. So you think that um, the video method of kind of practicing, a lot of magicians will use videos in terms of practicing, is, is uh, use that as a compliment, essentially, to, uh, to like practicing in front of a mirror? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that you need video practice every single day. I mean, if you've got the room in your in your house or your apartment to set up a video camera and constantly record yourself practice and constantly replay it and make notes and go back and attempt to uh, correct the flaws that you see, hey, that's great. Uh, and I think you'd make a lot of good progress with that. But I think the guy that sits in front of a mirror and just very carefully analyzes what he sees in the mirror is going to make uh, 95% of the progress that the video camera guy makes, uh, you know, with about a tenth of the hassle. 
So uh, is the video camera a great way to practice? Of course it is, but I don't think that it's critical. I think that it's a nice adjunct. You set the camera up, uh, you know, a couple times a month to videotape something, then you watch it, see how it looks, and then you go back to the uh, to the mirror practice uh, for the bulk of your practice time. Uh, you know, again, if you've got the studio, knock yourself out. Do it every day. But I don't think that you're going to make that much more progress than someone that just sits in front of a mirror and uh, pays careful attention to what they see. This is another interesting question from uh, CBOLS23. Uh, he's saying, if you could session with any gambler or magician, he mentions Scarney, Ernest Eric, Marlowe, uh, Vernon, who would it be? Uh, well, I never met Vernon. I never met Marlo. Um, they were alive when I was interested in magic, but not for very long. I got interested in magic in uh, the very late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Marlo died in 91. Vernon died in August of 92. Um, so I never got a chance to meet those guys, although I did talk to uh, Marlo on the phone once. Um, I would love to have met either one of them, of course. Uh, unfortunately, I never met Larry Jennings. Uh, I... I came to the West Coast uh, not after he was gone, but uh, but again, the timing just wasn't right, and I never got to meet Larry. Would have loved to have met him. Uh, never met Frank Thompson, uh, the great uh, the great card expert from the East Coast. Uh, I think he I mean, he wasn't from Boston, but I think he used to come up to Boston a lot. Uh, Frank Thompson, um, you know, was one of the finest card handlers that ever lived, based on what I've been told. Would have loved to have met him. Uh, he was gone long before I was even interested in magic. The same goes, of course, with uh, Erdnace, whoever that was. Um, I would like to have uh, gotten the chance to see him do things, of course. Would have loved to have met Charlie Miller or Dr. Daly. I mean, I really couldn't choose someone. If you forced me to choose someone, uh, I'd have to sit down and think about it a lot longer than just uh, than I have right now. <laughs> but any of those any of those guys would have been great to have met. Uh, to have met. This is a uh, more specific question about the center deal from uh, Sam Rochon, R-O-C-H-O-N. He's saying... Uh, why learn the center deal? What can it accomplish that the bottom or the second deal cannot? Um, well, I'm not really sure why I chose to learn the center deal. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the answer would be similar to the answer all the guys give when asked why they tried to climb Mount Everest, you know, because it's there. Um, that's not the whole reason, but that's a big part of the reason. I mean, if you can juggle nine balls, why add the tenth ball? Did it really add anything in the eyes of the audience? Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I would imagine anyone that makes the transition from juggling nine balls to juggling ten isn't doing it for the audience. They're doing that for themselves. And the center deal is sort of a similar thing. Uh, I saw it. I liked it. I practiced it. Uh, I practiced it some more. I practiced it some more. A couple years later, I was looking back and went, hey, you know, this is actually coming along. A couple more years go by, and I'm like, hey, I think I've got something here. Uh, before you know it, I'm doing a one-on-one -on, -one on the center deal. So I'm not sure that I ever consciously sat down and said, well, today's the day I start working on the center deal. Uh, it just didn't happen like that. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I got it to a, a place where I was comfortable showing it to people. And, uh, and later on, I got to a place where I was comfortable teaching it to people. Uh, so there you go. We spent a lot of time in the one-on-one uh, -on -one video talking about, uh, for the Center Deal, talking about its history and uh, various different published uh, resources that they can look at on the Center Deal and different uh, handlings and different ideas on it. 
Uh, this question comes from Ben Long, and he's saying, in the one-on-one, there's a lot of talk about the history regarding the s- surrounding the center deal. Could he talk a little bit about how knowing the history of a move may help with the work on the slight itself? So he's saying, how does how does knowing the history or knowing, I guess, a, a lot about uh, the background of a move help in your in someone's work on the slight itself? Uh, well, I, I don't think that knowing the history of a move is uh, is absolutely critical in terms of uh, the mechanics of the move. I find that it's very helpful for me to know the history of the move in a, in a variety of ways. Uh, first and foremost, I enjoy tracking down the history of certain moves. I enjoy reading the backstories. Uh, secondly, as you're doing that research, finding the history of the uh, of a given move, it often leads you down other paths where you do find little tips and uh, ideas on techniques that you might not have found otherwise. So that has a a way of you know coming full circle and helping you uh, uh, dial a move in, so to speak, or or learn it a little bit faster. Uh, other things I've found, uh, as far as knowing the history of moves goes, is that it opens doors with other magicians. If a guy comes up to me and says, hey, I've got a great classic past, do you want to see it? I might say to him, sure, um, and then watch it and think, oh, that's very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate you sharing it with me. But if a guy came up to me and said, hey, I've got a great classic pass. Oh, and by the way, I've written a book on the history of the move, you know, and here are all these sources that I've got. Would you like to read it? Now I'm really intrigued uh, because this is someone that's clearly not just a guy that's, uh, you know, done a million passes in his life, but he's someone that's passionate about the move, cares about the move, uh, and, you know, wants to share his findings and his knowledge with other people. Uh, And I'm a lot more uh, attracted to that second type of person, someone that, their, their passion comes through in more ways than just having a great pair of hands. Um, you know, so I found that all of this back knowledge um, and the understanding of the history of the moves has opened doors with me. It's a lot easier to have a conversation with a guy like a Ricky Jay or a Bill Kalouche or a Michael Weber or a Steve Forty if you're more than just a guy that does a bunch of moves really cool. If you're a guy that can actually carry on a conversation and speak intelligently on things that they enjoy and that you enjoy as well, you're going to go a lot farther with people like that. So those are the reasons I'm attracted to the history of the move. And I think, you know, paralleling that, there's another question. Um, Cardclip928 is saying, he's, I guess the question was phrased very similarly, why is learning from multiple sources so important? So it's, it, in the Center Deal video, you're mentioning multiple different handlings and nuances and publications of the Center Deal, and you kind of touch on eccentricities in each. So I think it goes along with that as well. You're, you're picking up, uh, when you're reading about things from multiple sources and uh, historical resources on a move like the Center Deal, you're picking up something from each different source, and you can combine that into your application of it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, and that, that applies to a lot more than just magic. If you wanted to learn about... Uh, United States history, for instance, you could learn uh, you could learn a little bit about it from reading a history book, or you could read a hundred history books and think of uh, what a broader picture of U.S. history you would have by uh, getting your information from multiple sources. Um, you know, even if you're learning essentially the same things, different authors have a different take on things. Different authors will use different examples, so on and so forth. You're going to have a much better picture of U.S. history if you read 100 books on the subject uh, as opposed to just reading one. Even if the one you read is really great, it can't possibly compare to 100 others or 99 others plus that one. Same thing goes with magic. Um, if you want to learn false shuffles, 
you could easily sit down and uh, and learn from one false shuffle source, or you could sit down and learn from 20 or 30, and invariably you're going to pick up little things from different authors that all, uh, you know, you kind of put into your mental blender, blend them all up, and what comes out is uh, is something that may not have been in any one of those books, but, uh, but something that works for you because you've borrowed different ideas from different places. Uh, I just think it's a great way to go. You can't go wrong that way. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the questions that I saw that, uh, you know, half a dozen different people asked me was, have I ever uh, cheated at cards with the center deal? Uh, and the answer is I've never cheated at cards uh, with the center deal uh, in any sort of serious game. I've absolutely fooled around with, you know, nickel, dimes, and quarters with friends and things of that nature, trying different moves. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. I never got caught doing any of those moves because I didn't do them often enough. Uh, without question, if I did the center deal every Friday night in a poker game, uh, I would eventually get caught doing it. Um, you know, the, the old saying goes, if you've not been caught, then you haven't cheated. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, have I cheated with the move? Yes, and I've cheated with a half a dozen other moves. But never in serious games just uh, fooling around with friends, half of whom knew what I did with a deck of cards. And it's uh, uh, not that they didn't mind being cheated, but, uh, you know, the money wasn't enough to where anyone cared. We all went out to dinner later, and that was the end of that. Uh, although I have to say my uh, 11-year-old brother busted me uh, cheating at Uno last week. <laughs> Monopoly. <laughs> that was kind of a downer. No, it was Uno, and I was uh, doing the gin pick from the stock. But uh, he, ca- he caught on and, uh, and busted me. Uh, I did find a great question here. This is this one's from Austin Simpson, two eighteen. His first post from Chicago, Illinois. Um, he actually asked three great questions. I might get to multiple of them. He says in nineteen ninety three, Ed Marlowe published his one handed center deal in a DVD entitled "The Legend." What are the advantages and disadvantages of doing the center deal both ways? Uh, well, first of all, Marlowe died November seventh, nineteen ninety one. So I think the date of the Legend video is a little misleading. Uh, that may have been one that came out, but clearly it was filmed uh, a long time prior to that. Or it's a really good, or it's uh, a really good trick. Or it's a really good trick. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that there are any advantages to doing a one-handed center deal. Uh, all center deals, um, as far as I'm concerned, are for the most part demo techniques. In other words, um, whether anyone has ever used a center deal in a real serious money game or not is kind of immaterial. It's a theatrical cheating technique. That's what, uh, you know, 99.99% of all the people that have ever done a center deal used it for. It's a theatrical cheating technique. It shows people what's possible with a deck of cards, not what they've really got to be concerned with. And if you take it a step further and do it with one hand, so be it. You're just adding another layer uh, of theatrical technique on top of what you already had. Uh, now, if you want to do it with the other hand tied behind your back, or if you want to do it while hanging upside down from a rope, what have you, these are just things that the audience perceives as obstacles in your way, and if you overcome those obstacles, then you're the hero uh, magician or the hero gambling demonstrator or whatever. I fool around with one-handed center uh, deals uh, for friends and for other magicians. I never really use them in my act except as a gag, um, you know, just to take something that's clearly extremely difficult and take it to that ridiculous level. That's the only reason I ever do that. Um, but anyway, uh, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, there's a... Uh, the 
Yeah, there, uh, well, the second question he asked uh, kind of parallels what you just said. This is another question from Austin Simpson. He says, the bottom deal and the center deal both essentially b accomplish what the second deal cannot, which is dealing cards to yourself but retaining a certain order and a place in the deck that will assure that you get a certain hand. If the center deal is so much harder than the bottom deal, why do it if they both accomplish the same thing? What does the difficulty of the center deal repay um, he said, does the difficulty of the center deal repay you with some type of application thereof? Sure. Uh, well, the theoretical answer is a little bit different from the, the real answer. Uh, the theoretical answer is, it, assuming that you've both managed to call a group of cars to the bottom, let's say three of a kind, three kings, the person that's going to bottom deal those kings needs an additional move. They need either a false cut... Uh, by a partner, or they need to set a crimp and hope that the person cutting the cards um, stumbles into that crimp and moves the kings back to the bottom, or you need some sort of way to, uh, to allow for the real cut and then shift the cards back. Um, so the bottom dealer has to get around the cut somehow, and there's an additional move, and then you've got the bottom deal. Uh, in theory, the center deal is a superior move because... You simply allow the cards to be cut legitimately, and as you complete the cut, uh, you set a brief or you hold a tiny break or what have you. You pick them up and you just deal the cards normally. So if you had a perfect center deal on the right and a perfect bottom deal on the left, I would rather have the center deal because you avoid uh, the move of shifting the deck or doing a false cut or forcing a cut or what have you. That's the theoretical answer. The real answer is is that uh, virtually no one cheats with the center deal because the move is so ridiculously difficult uh, and because it's extremely hard to hide that break on the long right side of the deck. The truth of the matter is is that even though um, that theoretical answer seems to uh, indicate that the center deal is superior, of course it's really not superior. Doing two moves isn't a problem if they're both invisible. If the false cut is invisible, if uh, forcing the cut is invisible, or if shifting the deck is invisible, and the bottom deal is invisible too, then there's no problems. Uh, and certainly uh, thousands of people have shifted the cut and then dealt off the bottom. Uh, virtually no one's ever used the synergy on a real money game, with, you know, with a couple, of, uh, a couple of weird exceptions out there. Um, so maybe, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, there is no difference uh, between the bottom deal with a shift and a center deal. Certainly not in terms of the outcome. In terms of the reality of the moves, I think the shift in the bottom deal is superior. Um, but in terms of theatricality, I think the center deal is superior. So it just sort of depends on uh, you know how you're looking at it and from what point of view. Um, speaking back of what we talked about a second ago, I looked up uh, the Legend DVD and apparently it was filmed at the same time as the Cardition DVD or the Cardition uh, videotape it was it was released 11 years later so in fact Ed Marlowe's ghost did not release uh, a DVD two years after he died um, brilliant um, getting back to this the center deal the one-on-one -on -one that we released last night the kind of the goal of these one-on-ones I think you'd agree is to teach the mechanics of a move talk about the the um, history of a move and the kind of give them a picture, uh, give people watching this a picture of what this move is and its history and its applications. 
Um, but we don't necessarily get into uh, routining or anything like that using these slights. There's a question submitted by CM763. And he says, the one-on-ones that you have taught, the bottom deal, the center deal, and the, uh, center, the bottom deal, the second deal, and the center deal are great slights, and you provided some great resource suggestions for where we can find more detail about the slights in those one-on-ones. However, are there any resources you could suggest off the top of your head for where we could find tips on forming gambling routines utilizing those slights? I ask because I'm trying to learn the slights, but when I'm done, I like to be able to create my own routines rather than copy others that are out on the market. Uh, it's a great question. I'm glad you uh, picked that one, uh, JB, because it was one that I wanted you to pick, even though we didn't talk about this beforehand. Uh, the answer to the question is very easy, uh, Darwin Ortiz. Without question, he is the finest constructor of good card tricks, especially card tricks with a gambling flavor that I've ever seen. If you told me tomorrow I had to do two completely different 20-minute acts, using material I had never actually performed live in front of an audience before, I would go to my shelf and I would pull off all three of Darwin Ortiz's uh, books on uh, card magic and gambling routines, and I would learn something from those three books that I'd never uh, performed before. His first book was Darwin Ortiz at the Card Table. Uh, It's a classic. There's some great stuff in there. The next one is Card Shark, and after that is uh, Scams and Fantasies with Cards. Those three books are the first place that I would turn. And then I would turn to people that were either inspired by Darwin or that enjoy material uh, in a similar vein. Jack Carpenter um, has some great stuff out. His first book was Modus Operandi. Then he had The Expert's Portfolio. I would turn to books um, by Jim Swain. Don't Blink was his first book. Um, uh, The second book uh, of Jim Swain's, uh, was, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, it's it, uh, his big black hardback book, uh, which I enjoy very much. Uh, and then the last book was uh, 21st Century Card Magic. So Swain and Carpenter and Ortiz are probably the first three guys I would turn to. Uh, you could also, of course, turn to uh, works by Martin Nash. Uh, you could turn to, uh, you know, a, a couple of other different uh, authors out there that release gambling stuff. But probably those four guys would be the first place that I would look for for great gambling-themed um, card routines. And from those, that's where you learn to, uh, to build your own stuff. Uh, Andrew Wimhurst is certainly another guy whose name I would throw out there. I love his uh, Down Under Deals booklet. It's hard to find these days, but if you can score it, uh, you, won't be, uh, you won't be sad that you did. I think that's all the time we have. It's around uh, 7.45 or Pacific time, 10.45 Eastern time, so we need to post this in about a few minutes. So um, we got through most of the questions tonight, or at least I thought we got to some uh, some great questions. If you guys have any additional important questions that you really need answered that we did not touch on or you think that we should, definitely should touch on, you can continue to post these in the forums or private message either myself or Jason on the Theory 11 forums, and we'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, I think that's it. Be sure to check out the uh, Center Deal video that we released last night. It is definitely a challenge. Uh, I think Jason would agree. But uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great move, and it's taught very well. It's 27 minutes of uh, instruction on it. And then in the end of the video, Jason also talks about additional resources that you guys can go to to learn even more about it. But um, I think that is it, Jason. Uh, thank you for uh, answering the questions tonight. Um, sure. And we'll chat with you guys soon. All right, talk to you guys. Bye.